1 Corinthians chapter 13. <clears throat> this is commonly called the what chapter of the Bible? Love chapter. And something of such importance that the Lord put on love, I felt the need to preach another message on it. So tonight, I'm going to look at 1 Corinthians 13, and I'm going to read the entire chapter. So, so I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, does not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, for whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then shall I know, even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege you have to open your precious word. Thank you that we have it preserved for us. And I pray as we look into the word of God tonight that, again, we'd be encouraged and challenged and that we'd be helped um, by the Spirit of God who dwells within us as we look and examine his word. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the modern usage of the word charity has the idea of generous actions, you know, donations to aid the poor or those that are ill or those that are helpless, you know, it's giving to it a charitable work or it's a charitable act. Many people give to works of charity which are good deeds to humanity, but this may be done without any eternal value whatsoever. Uh, you can provide education to the illiterate but they can still be unregenerate. The word charity here in the scriptures means affection, goodwill, love, benevolence, which would include, again, generous givings and so on and so forth. Uh, It's divine affection. It cannot be had by natural means. It is not a work of the flesh. It's not a work of the flesh. You know, 1 John 4 and 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not God knoweth not God, for God is love. Romans 5, 5. 
And hope maketh not a shame, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given us. See, this love, or this charity, the words agape in Greek, is, will be an outgrowth of a relationship with God. It'll be an automatic outgrowth of a relationship with God. As God begins to work in your life and in your relationship with Him, this will be something that will be brought about by the working of the Spirit of God through His Word. As you, again, as you study the Word of God and read the Word of God and meditate upon the Word of God, you're going to be challenged by the Spirit of God to love one another. You're going to be challenged to, to love those that don't love you. you know, the natural thing is, we love those that love us and we don't like those that don't like us. That's human nature. But that's not God's love. God's to love the world that He gave His only begotten Son. God you know, commended His love toward us in that while we're yet sinners or enemies of God. He loved us. John 15, 13, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. But Jesus said, I don't lay down my life for my friends. You know, many, of course, many, as we said last week, are confused, very confused about what real love is. Now, love is not without convictions. Love has parameters. It has parameters. Uh, sometimes the most loving answer you can give a person is no. No. You know, our modern child psychology tells us that we should not suppress the, the feelings and the expressions of children. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. Uh, he that loveth his child chasteneth him betimes, the Bible tells us. So, so love is not just being nice, it is doing what is right in the sight of God. And again, we, we looked at that last week. Uh, and so, so let's look at some things here tonight. You know, we looked at last week of the, of the, uh, uh, you know, the demonstration love and so forth. Tonight we want to look at some particulars. And, and you know, sometimes the best way to describe something is tell you what it's not tell you what it's not. And that's what Paul does here in this passage. And so we see love's preference. First of all, love's preference. In verses 1 through 3, love is the preferred quality of life. It takes precedence over all others. It's preferred over all this. It's preferred over eloquence. In verse 1, he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. You know, I could be the greatest speaker or the greatest orator that the world knows, and persuade men to follow me with, with great-sounding words. But the Bible, says, Paul says, you know, the Bible says here, if I don't have charity, if I don't have love, I'm just like banging brass and clanging a cymbal. It would be a lot of impressive words with no real value. You know, many, many dictators have been great orators. Now, 
I didn't live in Hitler's day. But I knew some men that did, and they said he could, he could give a speech like no other. He could sway the crowds. We have men like that today that can sway the crowds. You know, a lot of what goes on in, in, in churches is swaying crabs. It's manipulating feelings. It's great sounding words. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. <clears throat> In verse, it describes the men of the last days. And then it says in verse 4, Traitors, heady, high-minded, love of the pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power of, from such turn away. For this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captives, silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts, ever learning, ever coming up with new things. New things. New ways, new methods, new programs. And never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. You know, the, uh, I th- can't think of the name of it now, this new movement that's out. Um, you know, with Rob Bell and, and some of these guys, Dallas Wood and, and some of these guys. And, you know, they, they have these great sounding cliches and things. But when it boils right down to it, he said, Rob Bell admitted, we don't give solutions. We don't really have solutions. You know, when a, when a guy asked, you know, what do you tell somebody whose child died as a little baby? You know, what do you tell them? Well, he said, you know, we'll just tell them you'll be there. But we really don't have solutions. Can't explain that. You know, I can't explain why it was theirs, but I can't explain why children die because of the curse of sin. It's because of the curse of sin. It isn't God's fault. It's eloquence, great sounding words with no value. I could understand prophecy. He said it's preferred over prophecy. Verse 2, And though I have the gift of prophecy, I understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And though I have all faith, so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. You know, Paul, Paul un, you know, this was fitting for him to understand prophecies and mysteries. Uh, you know, to understand uh, the revelation of God. You know, again, uh, understand that when Paul's writing this, the Bible's not yet complete. And Paul was, to, was the one to whom much of prophecy was given. You know, and, of course, John telling future events in the book of Revelation. But Paul has told some of these things also. And Paul understood the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Ephesians 3, 1 through 9 tells us that was revealed to him. And he said, I can have all that. I can be the, you know, the guy, the genius through whole, all this comes. And people would be, wow, wow, you know, just have you met the Apostle Paul and the revelations he's given us? And he said, but if I don't have charity, I'm nothing. Nothing. 
The word knowledge refers to intelligence or understanding. Could understand all mysteries. Have all faith. You know, Peter had gave evidence of great faith, and yet he fell. He walked on the water. How many of you would get out of a boat and walk on the water? He gave evidence of great faith. But yet his love was not right. His love for God was not right. He tried to correct the Lord. Or though we could give to charity, verse 3, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to burn and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. You know, persons can be used to, to, to gift and, and, and uh, to needy causes. And, and, and you know, some, sometimes that can be given for selfish means to appease one's mind. But many give expensive gifts trying to buy love. And, and, and to those in the receiving end, you know, it can be looked at as, as vain and empty. But, but many people give uh, to these great causes and yet they have not love. Or you can give your body to be burned. Sacrifice yourself. You know, in the Philippines, I think it's the Philippines, I'm told that around Easter, some people crucify themselves. Now, they don't actually die on the cross, but they'll have themselves put on crosses. Nailed to crosses. It's done for glorification of self or to appease a God, which is without profit. It's vain. So all these you know, may be noble things, but without love they are nothing. They are of no account. So no account. It profit nothing. There's no advantage. It may be for the praise of men. And it kind of reminds me of a... There was this man I knew growing up. Growing up. Growing up. Growing up. Uh, anyway, he was very athletic. I mean, he could play anything. And he played softball with my two older brothers in, in a city league for a period of time. And he played shortstop. Now, you have to be a pretty good fielder to get the shortstop position, and he was. He could make the most outstanding plays and wow you, you know. My brother says one time there was a, there was a, there was a ball hit between shortstop and third, and he turned and, and, and went out and caught it you know, on, a, on the first hop, and, of course, first base is this way. And he said he, he jumped in the air and turned at the same time and threw the ball at the same time while he was in the air and threw the guy out at first base. We would say, wow. But he said it was so odd. The typical ground ball that would be easily fielded, he often missed it. You know, that's what made me think of, you know, people can do these outstanding things that appear great and wonderful. But the basic thing that is most important, they miss. It's love. It's love. 
Let's look at, so that's love's preferences. Let's look at some love's properties. These are the things that define what real love is. Of course, many in our world are very confused about real love. Um, and, he, and he gives here some things that love does. Verse, verse 4. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. It suffereth long. It means to be patient in bearing the offenses and the injuries of others. To be mild and slow in avenging, to be long-suffering, slow to anger, slow to punish. It means to defer anger. Proverbs 19.11 says, The discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. You know, there were some awful things said by the Pharisees to the Lord's face. You remember they said one time, we be not born of fornication. You know, if you'd say that to me, I'd probably slap you. But Jesus bore it. He bore their slander. They said that he cast out devils by Beelzebub. He suffered long with them. He suffered long. And Matthew tells us that you know, he would have gathered them as a hen gathereth her chicks. And he, as he wept over Jerusalem, but they would not. James 5, 10 and 11 says, Take my brethren the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job, have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and a tender mercy. He was thinking of the, the patience of the prophets. You know, Jeremiah preached for many years to the children of Israel, and the Lord told them they're not going to repent. Back at one point he said, pray not for this people. He told Ezekiel they are a stiff-necked and rebellious house. What encouraging words to the preacher, you know. But you know, even in Jeremiah's day, there was a few. Remember Barak? And uh, I think it was Abedmelech who got the men, got 30 men, and went to the king after they had put Jeremiah in the pit. And, and, you know, he was going to die in there. And he went to the king and, and, and pleaded for Jeremiah. And the king gave him, granted him permission to take some men and, and get Jeremiah out. You know, in God, those men fared well when Babylon came in. God undertook. See, God suffers long. He's kind. He's patient. He's kind. The word kind means to show oneself mild. It speaks as acts of acts of good. Patience is enduring ill will, while kindness is love's activity in good. Kindness is giving your enemy food and drink. You know, Romans chapter 12 tells us, Romans chapter 12 and verses... 17 through 21, 
Recompense no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Be possible as much as life in you. Live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I repay, saith Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire in his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. I remember Evangelist Chuck Coffey telling me telling the story one time how he was in California for some meetings. And he had a camper parked at a campsite. He's on his way between churches. And this old boy on a Harley Davidson, looked like he was in a motorcycle gang, parked his bike just not too far from his camper. He said, I made a note of where he was. He said that evening... I went over and began to talk with him and found out that he had been in Texas. He'd been married, divorced, had lived with another woman for a time, and now was just, I don't know, doing whatever, and he was saved. So he said. And he said, I said, no. Your life doesn't match that of what the Bible describes as a child of God. And the man got angry. And that kind of ended the conversation. said, the next morning, he said, I'm making some oatmeal for breakfast. And the thought came to me, the Lord brought it to me. I bet that old boy would like some oatmeal. And he said, I cooked up some extra oatmeal and I took it out to him. And he began to open up and talk. And he invited him to the church where he was going to preach. And Monday night, this guy shows up, comes up and shakes his hand. And he said, I didn't know who he was. He'd gotten a haircut. He'd shaved. He was clean. He was the guy that was on the motorcycle. And that week he got saved. Kindness. You see, sometimes just acts of kindness... Go a long way. You know, Titus 3, 4 says, But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. Kindness. Charity. It says, envieth not. Envieth not. The word envy is to be jealous over, to burn with zeal, to be heated or to boil with, with envy and hatred. Uh, Proverbs 27, 4 says, Wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous. But who is able to stand before envy? Cain was angry and envious of Abel's acceptance. Joseph's brothers sold him for envy. They were envious of his relationship with his father, which they did not have because of their evil report. It wasn't Joseph's fault. But charity envieth not. It's not jealous... You know, charity, charity wants the other to be better. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Charity looks for the better, bettering, that's a word, the improvement of others. It's more concerned about the other than self. Uh, Philippians 2 Verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things 
of others. You see, Paul, Paul gave evidence of charity. He was more concerned about the people that he had opportunity to preach to and their well-being and their right relationship with God than he was his own life. Because he was every day putting his life on the line for them. Charity vaunteth not itself, or is not puffed up. It's not self-display. Employing rhetorical embellishments in extolling one's self-love does not parade itself or show off one's gifts. Be like somebody coming in here and wanting to join church and letting me know how musically talented they are and they how they could really bless us with their abilities. You know. You know, I always had a policy in my ministry. Prove yourself. Prove yourself first. You know, the Bible says about deacons, let them first be proved. Let them first be proved. 1 Timothy 5 says, lay hands suddenly on no man. Lay hands suddenly on any man. Prove yourself. You see, love doesn't push itself into public notice or seek the limelight. Instead, it wins the respect and never ceases to progress. Somebody said it never ceases to progress higher and higher. You know, we heard about Adonjai this morning, uh, David's other son, who exalted himself saying, I will be king. And he prepared him chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. Now Solomon... Now, I don't know about you, but I, I, you know, I've read the Bible through many times, but I've never read anywhere where it says Solomon wanted to be the next king. I don't find that in the Scriptures. But I do find that Nathan tells Bathsheba, did not David say Solomon would sit upon his throne? That's what I find. You see, Solomon did exalt himself, He let those who were over him exalt him. Luke 14, 11, the Lord said, For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Your charity doesn't bond itself. It's not unseemly. It behaves itself, or behave in a way that opens up strong disapproval. It is courteous. It is gentle. It is always gentle, kind. You know, there's no prize for hardness or toughness. You know, that's the man of the world. Lacks compassion. Wants everybody to know he's in charge. You know. You know, Moses was a mighty man, the Bible says, in words and deed. But when the children of Israel sinned, And the Lord went back up the mountain to meet with the Lord. After the Lord said, I'm going to destroy them. Moses said, forgive the iniquity. And if not, and in the Bible, in the King James Bible, there's a hyphen. There's a blank for a little space. You know, I believe that Moses broke down and wept over his people 
and pleading to God for those people. He was a gentleman. He had compassion for those people. It seeketh, love seeketh not her own. Again, this refers to selfish grasping of things. You know, someone who can only talk about themselves or what pertains to them. Is not easily provoked. That means to be irritated or roused to anger. Uh, Somebody has said, quote, there's not a form of vice, not worldliness, not greed of gold, not drunkenness itself, that does more to unchristianize society than the evil temper. For embittering life, for breaking up communities, for destroying the most sacred relationships, for devastating homes, for withering up men and women, taking the bloom of childhood in short, sheer gratuitous misery, producing power and influence that stands alone. You know, think about the older brother of the prodigal son. He was angry. He was angry at the whole world. He's angry at his father, he's angry at his brother, he's angry at the servants who provided all this party for his brother who had been lost and now is found. You know, I think there were a lot of other things he was problem there with too. He was envious that he didn't get a party. Proverbs 29, 22 says, Angry man stirreth up strife, and furious man aboundeth in transgressions. You know, Jonah's anger withered the gourd. It thinketh no evil. Notice again in verse 5, the end of the verse there, it thinketh no evil. It means to reckon or suppose or evil or unlawful, something wrong or unlawful. Something. It's, it, this idea here is to be suspicious. That someone has evil attentions against you. You see, love thinks the best of others. It isn't suspicious. It isn't on a witch hunt to find something in your life that they can pull on to bring you down or to discredit you. You know, that was Saul. Saul continually thought evil of David, and he was constantly looking for reasons to discredit him. David did not return the unkindness. You know, we are to, you know, love is we're to credit people with the best motives and an understanding attitude. We're not to jump to conclusions, but based on our perceptions when we don't have evidence. Yeah, that's a core belief of our. Constitution, you're innocent until proven guilty. <clears throat> Excuse me. Love has no joy in sin. Again, notice in verse 6 rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. You know, there's nothing happy to be happy about in iniquity or sin. Psalm 97.10 says, Ye that love the Lord hate evil. He that preserveth the soul of his saints, he delivereth them out of the hand of the wicked. You know, ye that love the Lord hate evil. That's a strong word. Hate evil. You know, some people say, well, you ought not hate 
you ought not hate. Oh yeah, there's some things you ought to hate. You ought to hate evil. There's a lot of things that are going on in this country that I hate. There's a lot of people, things that are people are doing in religious circles that I hate. That grieves me. When I read here some time ago that over here at Southeastern, they're teaching critical, uh, critical race theory, it grieved me. That's going to filter out into the churches and corrupt the minds of people. So what the Roman Catholics teach grieves me. I hate it. It's damning souls to hell. We ought to hate it. There's no, well, they're such nice guys. No, they're not. They're deceivers. They're corruptors. I didn't say we were supposed to hate them. But we do need to point out their error. Jesus did. Paul did. You know, I've heard people say, you know, of compromises, well, they're such nice guys. It's not about being nice, it's about being honest and right. Your love doesn't teach deception. And many of them are teaching deception. False doctrine. Again, you know, these things are contrary to human nature. They're characteristics that can truly only be worked out of a heart that's been transformed by the power of God. Now, you know, of course, a, a person can be trained to exemplify some of these qualities. And, and, and many go into to universities and seminaries, and, and they're trained, professionally trained, how to exemplify these qualities. I fear many of them without the true love of God. That's why they compromise. You know, love of, the, the love of God, this kind of love, is God first. Man second. Biblical love is not reactionary, but consistent, stable, rational. Its source is not our relationship with people. That is the evidence of it. How we relate to people. You know, this new method of ministry, they call it relational or missional. It's based on relationships with people. Not people's relationships with God. It's all about relationships with people. That's the emphasis. You know, that's subjective. God is objective. See, with people, there are not absolutes. I mean, there may be some things in your life that you absolutely won't do. But absolutes do not originate from people. 
They originate from God. And so, this love, if we're going to, if we're going to, um, demonstrate this kind of love to a lost and dying world. It's a love that comes from God. It's a love that exemplifies the love of God. You know, sometimes the most loving thing you can do is take the Bible and show a person where they're wrong. Speaking the truth in love. You know, Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love. You know, Jude 22 says, and some have compassion, making a difference. You know, as I said last Sunday night, you know, John the Apostle was known as the Apostle of Love. But he's also known as the Apostle of Truth. The word truth appears over and over and over again in his epistles. And, many times in the Gospels. So, you know, this is the love of God. This, of course, is great evidence of salvation, of God working on our heart. Romans 5, 5 again says, Hope make us not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts, by the Holy Ghost. And so as it, if we're born again by the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God is dwelling in, within us, and, and we're meditating and feasting on the Word of God, this love of God should be you know, being shed abroad, or coming out, or a natural outgrowth of our relationship with the Lord. And Jude, of course, describes it as some having compassion, making a difference. You know, sometimes people need somebody who cares enough to tell them the truth. The truth. And so... We need to have the love of God in our life. We need to demonstrate this kind of love, a love that's uncompromising, a love that has convictions, a love that does not rejoice in iniquity but rejoices in the truth. You see, just because I love you does not mean I approve of everything you do. They are two distinct things. The old world kind of thinks, if you don't approve of everything I do, you don't love me. That is a faulty definition of love. It's a corrupt definition of love. It's based on the premise that there are no moral absolutes. Your God demonstrated the ultimate love for us 
And we know he has moral absolutes. So might God help us to demonstrate this kind of love to a world that knows not the love of God.